The following Art Trap production is brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by donations from listeners like you. This episode is brought to you by Dragon's Lair Comics and Fantasy. Check out their website at dlair.net. That's D as in dragon, lair.net. Live from the planet Delphon, where they communicate with their eyebrows, this is Doctor Who Podshot. Doctor Who Podshot. Okay, well, let's do it. No, I... <laughs> you know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah. What blew that? <laughs> I'm the Doctor. And who are you? And who are you? The Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 160. My name is Ken Deep, alongside Mr. Louis Trapani. Hello. And across the great pond, the man, the legend, none other than James Norton. Hello. The legendary <laughs> James Norton. Well, we have another swinging, sexy edition of Doctor Who Podshock heading your way right now with news and our review of Spearhead from Space. And what else? I was just communicating with my eyebrows. <laughs> well, we have... <laughs> This is sort of, um, we keep on promising an, aniver- an, an anniversary show, and um, the, so as we record this, this is somewhere around, it's actually a, a few days after our release of our first episode four years ago, so um, we have two guests, um, it has nothing to do with our anniversary per se, but it's, it's a special occasion, any t- you know, anytime we have a guest or two guests, and we have Dominic Glynn, who we, is a returning guest, right off the heels of the big chill festival that happened this past weekend and joining him is danny stewart who um they are working together on some projects and we'll have them both on and we'll find out more about that at that point very exciting right before we head off to the newsroom let's have a a few announcements i just want to remind everybody about hooverville uh, which is a fabulous convention that's going on here in the uk on sunday the 6th of september uh, it's happening at the Midland Railway Museum, which is in, uh, well, actually the railway centre, I should say, which is in Derbyshire, near uh, just outside of Derby in a village called Ripley. Um, Sunday the 6th of September from 10am to 5pm. I'm going to be there al- along with a whole host of, of podcasters from uh, places like Podcast Who, Staggering Stories. There's also a fantastic uh, guest lineup, which includes Colin Baker, who is, of course, the Sixth Doctor, Nick Briggs, the voice of the Daleks and many of the monsters, Annika Wills, who is Polly, both William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton's companion, Toby Haydock, good friend of the show, who's a fantastic comedian who's done Moths Ate My Doctor Who Scarf, Ian Fairburn, who was in The Invasion, Inferno, The Macra Terror, The Seeds of Doom, and Cheryl Hall, who was in, of course, Carnival of Monsters and Citizen Smith. So, uh, as I say, tickets are 30 quid, available now. Uh, it's £10 for under-12s. You can buy tickets by going to Hoover's, that's spelt W-H-O-O-V-E-R-S dot org dot U-K. 
and when you click on there you'll get it straight into the main site and it's there's it a nice big banner in the middle of the page and you can click on that and uh, it's going to be an awesome time out and there's the steam trains there that take you along to the railway center so it's really going to be an awesome day what what was the date of that again james sunday the 6th of september so it's wow, it's fantastic. rapidly approaching yeah less than a month away now indeed and I think that same weekend here in the States, down in Atlanta, Georgia, is Dragon Con. Mm-hmm. And Tara That's... and Billy, the white robot, will be down there. Tara will be bringing her TARDIS. So we'll have a busy weekend. You will be over there, and they'll be over here. Lewis and I will be home. <laughs> so, But we'll, we'll be... have uh, two conventions going on at the same, well, at the same time that we'll be covering. Yep. We're worldwide, baby. <laughs> international international yes okay uh how about mentioning being we're talking about some quick announcements how about mentioning that the brand new Podshock store has opened well, swag 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 it's the new gallifrey <laughs> embassy cafe shop which has um basically we had going way back to 1986 when we first introduced the gallifrey embassy shirts they were very popular at that time, and uh, if you look at some of our pictures from our from the from the eighties of the club and all that, you'll see a lot of members sporting our shirts and all that. I They're no longer available; anymore. those original vintage shirts. And then back in two thousand and five, with the launch of Doctor Who Podshock, we reintroduced the shirts, and they've been very popular. And people have been photographing themselves in the shirts and sending it to us in various locations with various Doctor Who guests and whatnot, and. And just like Doctor Who regenerates and the show is constantly regenerating, it was time for a refresh of our shirts. And it's 2009, and now the shirts have been refreshed. They're basically very, the, the design is essentially the same, just been refreshed and updated. And they're available now. If you go to our website, gallifrenemacy.org or podchock.net, you'll find them in the store section. And it, there's a link to the cafe shop, which is essentially cafe press slash. Podshock will bring you to the directly to the shop itself. There's everything. There's shirts, caps, even time machines. Yes, time machines. Well, everyone else calls them clocks, but they're essentially time machines. So uh, there's even a, a little teddy bear with, with the, and the thong. Well, by popular demand, <laughs> if, if that popular <laughs> the thong if, if that population two. is one, <laughs> there's a thong. <laughs> you you request it, we have it. <laughs> You want it? it? We've got it. If we can bring it to you, we'll bring it to you. So yeah, there, there's the like I said, the classic design. There's Pachak designs. There's um, um, check it out. There's like I said, there's there's buttons, magnets, um, shirts. Speaking of people who who sent in photos, actually the most recent one was uh, was Cynthia, who sent in a photo from Worldcon with her in her in Russell We Trust T-shirt on, standing next to Paul Cornell. Wearing his In Moffat We Trust t-shirt. That was really <laughs> awesome. That was so cool to see that. To see them wearing their In Trust t-shirts because we're, we're entrusting them with the legacy of Doctor Who. That's fantastic. It was so cool. What starts out as an innocent expression turns into a t-shirt. So that was really cool. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, in the past, I've, I've said if you get photographed wearing a Podshock shirt with a Doctor Who celeb, that I would send out a DVD, and someone had asked me on Facebook if I was still doing that, and no sooner did they ask that did Cynthia send in this photo. So I, I contacted her and said, 
if you want a DVD, it would be my pleasure to send you one, and, and I am. So she wanted, uh, I think, Deadly Assassin. So that one's on pre-order for her. She has to be a bit patient till it comes out. But that was awesome. I thought that was just, yes. it, I mean, it's totally off guard. You know, it wasn't like someone said, oh, I'm going to go do this. It was just like, hey, by the way, you might be interested in this picture. So I do have a, I, I have a, uh, for for someone, for people, that you don't have to be with a Doctor Who celeb, but if you buy one of the new Podshock shirts from the from the Cafe Press store, one of the Mark II Podshock shirts, and you or, take or a Mark picture. Well, well, Podshock, for Podshock, it's Mark II. Yeah. Um, if I know um, Samantha down in Australia said she wanted to take one, I think, in front of the Sydney Opera House or something. If, if someone sends in uh, a picture of themselves in the new one, the f- I'm going to take... I'm going to randomly draw someone's name who sends in a photo, and I'm going to send them a CD of the William Hartnell story, The Myth Makers. So, you know, the, the BBC Archives collection. I have a, a brand new sealed copy of this, the double CD of The Myth Makers, the, the classic William Hartnell story. I have one of those with me, and I will randomly draw someone um, out of the, the group of photos that come in between now, which we're recording this on. What's today, August 11th, I 2009? So. Yes. Let's see. Let's That's give them right let's, let's give them a, a decent amount of time. Why don't we say September 30th, 2009 will be the cutoff of that. And sometime right after that, I will, um, I will put all the people who submitted into a, a hat, and I will have um, uh, Mrs. Deep pick out a name, and we will uh, send them a copy of that CD. Fantastic. Very, very cool. Well, I just want to make a mention that by uh, purchasing and wearing these um, items, it's showing your support for the show and the Gallifrey Embassy as well. And it's a small percentage of the uh, of the cost of the items comes to us. The, the bulk of it goes to Cafe Press, but we do um, appreciate it. And you know, and well, it's a it's a double way of showing your support because yeah. some some money comes back to help. Yeah, just a couple dollars, but then but it's like I said, it's it's you're out there with the shirt on, so it's um. It's like it's a double way to do it. Double whammy. You can show your support, and actually, by showing your support, you're actually supporting us. <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah, I'm well, still you, tired. Well, you figure there's a stack of conventions heading our way, whether you're going to, to Hooverville or Dragon Con or whether you're going to uh, Hurricane Who on Halloween weekend down in Orlando, Florida, or if you're going to New England Fan Experience to see Gareth David Lloyd in mid-November, or you're going to Chicago TARDIS at the end of November, like me. Yeah, Speaking or, of Hurricane Who, we're going to have some coverage there as well. Ian Bissett, who's one of the co-hosts of Coltum Collective, will be there on our behalf doing some reporting on the Hurricane Who convention, the first Hurricane Who. So we're very excited to announce that. So he'll be on our show giving a full report. And, and I know that more. Barnaby and John from DWNY will be down there. They're actually doing, I think they're doing their version of Just a Minute, the, mm. the favorite yes. of, of Paul Cornell's at, at Gallifrey. And, uh, and I think he did one um, maybe at Worldcon. I w- what was I seeing on, on Facebook or Twitter? Ah, I'm never going to remember. This one, absent-minded professor. But uh, <laughs> Barnaby is going to be doing that, I believe, down at Hurricane Who, and, and he'll also be down there. So New Yorkers and, and Podshockers well represented at, uh, at Hurricane Who. And Billy and I are going to Chicago TARDIS, so if you're planning to go to Chicago TARDIS, you'll see us there in person wandering about and, and hopefully um, 
I guess it's shortly before Chicago TARDIS is the New England fan experience with David Gareth Lloyd. Gareth yep. David Lloyd is is um is at New England fan experience. He's he's doing like this whole East Coast tour. He's he's starting at Hurricane Who down um late October down in Orlando. And then he's well, I know actually he's starting next month at Dragon Con as part of the Brit track Brit track. So that's early September. Then in October he's at Hurricane Who, and then in November he's gonna be at New England Fan Experience. So he's doing this whole East Coast tour, the Yanto East Coast tour. <laughs> Every month he's hitting a spot on the East Coast. Yeah, New England Fan Experience also has um, Leonard Nimoy as a guest. I think I've heard uh, of him. Yeah, he played spot. No, <laughs> he played Biggs in Star Wars. No. He- <laughs> Um, so Mr. Spock himself, uh, Leonard Nimoy, a, a living legend. I mean, it's just that simple. He's a living legend. Uh, 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 not that Gareth David Lloyd isn't a living legend now that the, the Yanto controversy has, has fired up around the world. Yeah, it was, and um, they, Tara had taken a picture of, of Leonard Nimoy at, um, at, um, San Diego Comic-Con. I didn't realize he was there. And, was, um, yeah. John Delancey as well will be there. Q. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Among many others, so uh, we've been to New England Fan Experience in the past. Peter Davison was last year. Yes. The year before that was Wendy Padbury. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if they're going to count Dar- Gareth David Lloyd as their Doctor Who guest. I mean, he's sort of crossed over Doctor Who guest, but they usually go for a very traditional Doctor Who guest, a very classic Doctor Who guest. So it wouldn't surprise me if they still added somebody. So... Watch this space. We'll let you know if they had an additional <laughs> guest. Mm. And, oh, it uh, would be nice if I actually said when that was. It's um, November 13th, 14th, and 15th, 2009. It's the Courtyard Marriott on uh, Tremont Street in Boston, Massachusetts. Very good. All right. What else do we have? That was, we, well, we just did a ton of announcements, but we yeah. haven't touched news. Let's jump into news then, shall we? Are you okay. prepared? You got your... Swimming trunks. Yeah, I've got on? my news shoes on. All right. Okay. Well, why don't we start with <laughs> Matt Smith well, being uh, Matt Smith coming to America? Yes, that's what I was going to get to. But uh, I'll let you jump in. Well, it's a fantastic news, except if you're uh, a Long Islander like myself, it's a Cablevision customer because we haven't got BBC America yet. But if you get BBC America, they've announced in their press release this week, in addition to having some some great numbers for Torchwood Children of Earth back in July, they've announced that they're committed to airing the first season of Matt Smith or Series 5 of Doctor Who, New Doctor Who, or season whatever it is now, 20, 30-something. Matt Smith's first season will air in quarter two of 2010. Quarter two would be April, May, June, so it's got to be on the heels of the British airing. You know, if it starts airing late March or early April in Britain, Hopefully, BBC America will be airing in a week or two weeks or even even three weeks. It's still great that they're looking to to air it so soon after the British airing. I don't think we'll get day and date, but you know what? If it was like um, two weeks, I think that's very acceptable. Well, in their announcement, they definitely you know use the word after the UK. So I, I think hopefully it won't be too much after, but I think it will be after. I, I don't think it's going to be on the day and date. But well, sci-fi did at at, at best. Sci-fi Channel was about two weeks apart, right? Mm-hmm. During um, I think the as I recall, and I think um, 
was it 2005 Canada was a, a week apart, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. During the, the whole hockey strike thing. Yes. Yeah. So, again, if we go for two weeks, if someone said to me right now, BBC America is going to air the Matt Smith episodes two weeks after the British airing, I would say, sign me up. That's more than acceptable. That's exactly what fans want to see, as close as you possibly can get. Well, I'm glad BBC, you know, America is taking this leap and it made this announcement at this time. This is right off the heels of the very successful San Diego Comic-Con reaction that they got and the reception that they received with their um, panels and programming there. Uh, David Tennant, John Barrowman, Russell T. Davies, Julie Gardner, Eurus Lin were all there. And they, we just, our last show, we had Tara here. What was it? The, not our last show, the two shows ago, we had Tara here responding to that. She said it was standing room only. The place was packed. Even the torture panels were not as fully packed as um, the Doctor Who panel. So I think that was a clear sign for them. And also uh, Doctor Who, Planet of the Dead, had since um, aired on BBC America. And that did very impressive numbers for them as well. It was part of their week with Torchwood you know, um, aired during the weekdays. And it was the most successful week that BBC America has seen as far as ratings go. So I think they're very much on board with this, thankfully. And hopefully by that time, the HD channels will be um, be carried by someone because <laughs> right now they launched the HD channels. It's sort of like is if a tree falls in the forest, can is it does it still make a noise? So they've launched the HD channels, but as far as I know, no one's carrying it yet. So yeah, is there an so HD channel? <laughs> mm, mm. I think people start getting on board. I mean, the, you, you see that if you look at the satellite companies like DirecTV and Dish Network and the cable companies like Comcast and Cablevision, they're all fighting it out on, on these commercials about who has the most HD. Yeah. So there's an HD channel hovering out there that no one's picked up yet. You'll see how fast somebody grabs it to say we've got it first or we have it. Or From, from what we heard is that there's going to be an announcement soon as far as um, that goes, you know, as far as who's going to be carrying the HD channels. Mm. Where did you hear that? I just, um, <laughs> I didn't hear it from BBC America itself. It's just, um, it's oh, one it's of those really propagating great, news stories. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. How does Lewis know that we don't? Not much. He's got connections. That's, that's why. He, he does. He's a media conglomerate that are <laughs> trap he, productions. Lewis Trapani is Robert Murdoch in disguise. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> well, as far as his <laughs> bank account is concerned. <laughs> okay, so what else is in the newsroom, gents? Big Finish has just, this just came in today, has just yeah. um, had their license renewed. So we can be so assured more Big Finish productions. The end of 2011, right? I believe so, yes. That's great news. Yeah, you can't have... Uh... You've got you've got to have big finish there. It's uh, it's a staple part of Doctor Who now. I think that they've had one of their best years. Uh, I don't know about sales or anything. That's not my you know I don't know anything about any of that jazz. But I think creatively, as a Doctor Who fan, I think the last year has really been some of the most interesting things they've done. They have the the missing season of Colin Baker's that they're working on. They did all the stage plays, you know, The Ultimate Adventure and The Seven Keys to Doomsday. I thought that was a great idea. They did the key to time uh, story arc, the key to time, the number two, the, the, the sequel. I thought that was a great idea. I think they've been doing some interesting 
they've taken um, some of the stories or some of the ideas in some interesting directions. I think they've had one of the, the best years ever. So um, I'm glad to hear that they've got another two years ahead of them. At yeah. least. It isn't. I mean, they kept almost single-handedly aside from, you know, the wonderful job that fans did. They, they kept Doctor Who alive during the dark days when it wasn't on television and they really sort of propagated, made sure that there was something always there for fans to have, aside from, you know, Doctor Who magazine and, you know, always making sure that people could, could get access to Doctor Who. And that's really important. And they, they, they've, they've done a great job of keeping Doctor Who alive when, when it wasn't being broadcast. So I think mm-hmm. it's wonderful that, that they carried on with that momentum and this past year, or certainly over the past few years, they 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 seem to be doing better and better. Um, so it's it's really thrilling. So and, and we're really excited to see what else they're going to be coming up with in the future. Absolutely. Well, on some not direct Doctor Who news, but Doctor Who related news is um, I think in the theaters right now. I'm not sure about the UK, but I believe in the US there's GI Joe, which uh, Christopher Eccleston is playing Snake, I believe. No, no, he's playing Destro. Oh, yes. okay. I, that tells you how much I know about G.I. Joe. It's Ray Park. <laughs> Ray Park's playing Snake Eyes. All right, okay. <laughs> well, it's a science fiction connection there, <laughs> getting my, my sci-fi guys mixed up. So, um, so yeah, if you uh, have a chance, and if you're, that type of movie appeals to you, you can um, see um, a little Christopher Eccleston in there. Yeah, it is on the, in the UK at the moment as well. And uh, Sienna Miller is in it as well, and she's she's absolutely gorgeous. So I don't know anything about the film, but I'd go I'd go <laughs> to see it just because Sienna Miller's in there, and it's a bonus that you got Christopher Eccleston as well. You have a one track mind, James. I do. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and in another sort of Doctor Who related news, but not directly Doctor Who related, um, Georgia Moffat, who's the daughter of Peter Davison, and um, I believe... Guest at Gallifrey 2010. Yes, the guest at Gallifrey 2010, or Gallifrey 21, Blackjack 21, I think it is. And I believe is still courting uh, David Tennant, but we're not at, sure. At last report, yes. Yes, yes. Yep. So uh, she's going to be lying, or she's, she's going to be in the soap opera uh, Casualty in the UK? Yeah, it's, it's not... Well, I guess it's sort of a more tacky version of ER, you could say, is, mm-hmm. uh, is, is Casualty. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a soap opera, but, but not. It's a, it's, it, it portrays itself to be a drama series, really. But it's, it's a very long-running um, television program here in the UK, quite popular and uh, you know, hugely predictable in terms of who's going to get injured and how they're going to get injured and things, you know. Do you think you should be mucking about that knit that round that big vat of boiling tar? No, it'll be fine. Of course they slip in and, you know, that's that's <laughs> them kind of a thing. Um but uh, it it's very popular and uh, a lot of people have made their name in casualty and gone on to do other things and, and Georgia clearly uh, has already made her name in terms of Doctor Who and, and all the other wonderful acting work that she's done and now is is going to do a bit of casualty, which is great. So, um, so she's actually joining the cast. It's not a guest starring role. It's going to be part um, a, a cast member. Yeah, she's she's. I, I, I don't. Well, I don't know whether because it, it was kind of weird the announcement, wasn't it? I think a lot of people do do just 
cameos, if you like, appear mm-hmm. uh, for one episode, you know, as, as whoever gets injured or whatever and gets taken off to hospital. Um, but I don't know. I haven't heard enough about it to know whether or not she's going to be cast as a, as a more yeah. permanent member. Yeah, I'm just reading here, and this is, comes from the pristine source, The Sun. Um, <laughs> George, Georgia is one of four new stars joining the 24th series of Casualty. The others are um, Personal Affairs Beauty, Laura Ackman, and newcomers Steve Miller and Will Sharp. Steve oh, Will Miller, Sharp. I love that song, Abracadabra. <laughs> <laughs> But you can tell how how um, how long the series has been going, as it's in its twenty fourth series or something. So, but as, as far as I'm, I mean, the headline in the Sun was something along the lines of, um, uh, you know, Doctor Who star going to star star as new Doc question mark as in Doctor Who as in is she going to be in Casualty as a Doctor? <laughs> um, you know, typical wonderful Sun style pun. Um, so who knows? whether she's going to be a regular cast member. The Sun say that she's going to be a junior doctor, but that we'll have to wait and see, I guess, as to whether that's true or not. Mm-hmm. All right, well, um, I'm not sure if there's any other news since our last show. We've, we're recording this pretty, pretty much on the heels of our previous episode. So. There is one other piece of news that I do have, mm-hmm. which is today, in, in actual fact... Um, some details have been released about the Keys of uh, Marinus DVD uh, to entertain have released a, 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 the cover artwork and uh, have, have let us know what the special features are going to be, which is quite interesting, I guess. And you can, you can pre-order it already on Amazon, the DVD, uh, which is pretty cool. There's obviously a, a commentary, which is going to be done by William Russell, Caroline Ford, director John Gorey and designer Raymond Cusick. The, the sets of Marinus, obviously, they do a bit of a photo uh, photo gallery as well. Uh, also, they're going to have a coming soon section, uh, loads of production notes, as it is on every DVD, and it's going to be released on the 21st of September, 2009, priced at 20 quid, 1999. Sounds yes, impressive. We, we, won't, we won't see it here probably till early next year then. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. And if it doesn't come with a rubber Vord suit, it's not worth having. <laughs> it comes with your own suit. You put it on, and you put your little snorkel on, and you sit on the TV and you watch your DVD. <laughs> right. That would be hot. a whole other area of Doctor Who now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my, Doctor. Oh my. And you said that I had a one-track mine. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say what track mine was on. <laughs> Well, what else do we have in the news, chaps? I th- unless you have anything else, I think that rounds out the, the news section for this episode. All right, mm-hmm. fantastic. So we'll be right back, and we'll come back with Dominic Glenn and Danny Stewart, and then after that, our review of Spearhead from Space. Hi, this is Fraser Hines uh, in downtown L.A., and you're listening to a Doctor Who Podshock. Hello, Louis Trapani here. Now more than ever before, we need and rely on your support. 
We would like to take a moment and thank the following for their generous contributions. Bill Watson and Christopher Turner. It's because of donations like theirs and others like them that help to bring podcasts like this one to you on an ongoing basis. If you too would like to make a contribution, visit gallifreyembassy.org or podshock.net and click donate in the top menu. And thank you for your support. We'd like to thank our new sponsor, Dragon Slayer Comics and Fantasy. They're supporting Doctor Who Podshock, so please support us by supporting them. Dragon Slayer Comics and Fantasy, welcome to Doctor Who Podshock. They have stores in Austin and San Antonio. They sell Doctor Who action figures, CDs and comics. They also sell board games, role-playing games, card games, graphic novels, manga, and a whole lot more. Check out their website at dlair.net. That's D as in dragonlair.net. Dragon's Lair Comics and Fantasy is celebrating its 23rd anniversary from August 28th to the August 30th. And that's they've been around almost as long as the Gallifreyan Embassy. So they've got a great track record. And, and on the 29th, we'll be donating 10% of all sales to award-winning science fiction author Aaron Alston to help him with his medical expenses. So come by, enjoy the sales, the events, and help support a great cause. Visit them in person. Visit Dragon's Lair Comics and Fantasy in person in either Austin or San Antonio or on the web at dlair.net. That's D as in Dragon, Lair.net. Or you can give them a call, 512-454-2399. 512-454-2399. Fantastic. And we're back with Doctor Who Pachak. Ken and James are still with me, thankfully. <laughs> you never I don't know can if be you sure. That, thankfully. <laughs> well, we had some uh, technical snafus before, and I we lost them both, but we came back together. We're united once again. And speaking of united once again, we're bringing back once again a returning guest right off the heels off of um, the Big Chill Festival that happened this past weekend, Dominic Glynn who's a, a composer and musician that you may remember from the 1980s Doctor Who with the 6th and 7th Doctor Error. Dominic Glenn, welcome back. Thank you. Hello. Nice to be back. Hi, and, Dom. And joining Good. Dom is Danny Stewart, who many Doctor Who fans may be familiar with his work but may not be familiar with his name. Danny is also a upcoming musician and music fan and has been a... Um, sort of a um a um an expert come when it comes to the Doctor Who themes and we'll talk more about that as well. Welcome Danny. Thank you. So it's good having you both on board. Let's um since um it was just this past weekend and a lot of people may not be familiar with what the Big Chill Festival was. I know Dom you were there and you were doing a send up of Doctor Who themes, tracing back through electronic music. You were doing some sort of uh, DJ mix of that. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, 
I mean, there's a bit of background that the Big Chill Festival, which has been going, I think, I think it's 15 years old this year, um, uh, initially started as a, as a club that used to be run on a Sunday afternoon, kind of uh, for people who'd been out clubbing on Saturday night and then wanted somewhere to relax on the Sunday afternoon. And the Big Chill uh, was created in what was an old church. And it used to have like a main room, which would have usually some kind of electronica act um, performing. And you'd get a lot of sort of quite innovative electronic music being performed there. But then there'd also be other rooms around the building where there would be things like this newfangled internet. And I can remember it's the first place I actually saw somebody on the internet and you know somebody was demonstrating it and seeing all the wonderful things you could do but anyway basically the, the big chill grew from those early days as a sunday afternoon club into a annual festival which for those listeners in in the states they would probably have, will have heard of the glastonbury festival it's a bit like britain but on a slightly smaller scale about thirty-five thousand people go and it's in a huge valley in uh, herefordshire um, in the west of england and um, it has a, a very eclectic music policy. What I did this year, I've been DJing for them for probably for about 10 years, actually, on and off. So this year I, I did a Doctor Who themed set, which, uh, as, you, as you rightly say, uh, traced the, the links between Doctor Who and the, the Radiophonic Workshop and the music of the Radiophonic Workshop and people that followed, i.e. people like me, and also people who have been influenced by it um, and making modern dance music and electronica. And I'm thinking, obviously, there are, there are examples of people like Orbital who have been very successful. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Orbital were the headline act at the Big Chill Festival this year. So, oh, really? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I played on the Friday night and did a, an hour's Doctor Who music combined with a lot of, lot of electronic dance. And then, as I say, on Saturday night, Orbital closed the set their set with a stunning rendition of the doctor who theme that's fabulous it was fabulous it wasn't even the version that people know and are familiar with if Mm -hmm. they know orbital orbital had actually this is a kind of comeback gig for orbital and they remastered remixed completely um, re the doctor who and they tore the place up you know to see a huge crowd of people i mean you know thousands of people out in the outdoor in the dark arms waving in the air to the Doctor Who theme. It was fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say that I, I thought Orbital went their separate... In other words, the, the two did. main musicians went their solo careers. They went their own yeah. ways. And so they, they're they, brothers. This is sort of a reunion, right? Yeah, they're, they're actually brothers, Paul and Phil Hartnell. And uh, yes, this is a reunion. They, they did actually reunite for the big chill. But it was such a successful re- reuniting that they've now started a tour. So, you know, it's a successful. Hopefully they'll do more. Fantastic. It's very, very cool that you can get so many people excited about about Doctor Who in terms of the, the musical aspects of it. Yeah, well, it's something about, you know, the, the opening strains of the theme music and, and it immediately sends everybody wild. So, you know, it's a, it's a good crowd for that kind of gig because the, the Doctor Who fans are in many ways closely related to the Big Chill uh, fraternity in the sense that they are very often should we say techno savvy should we say doctor who fans and mm-hmm. big chill fans said the music at the big chill tends to have a kind of technological uh, leaning very often and uh, a lot of the people who are involved in who go to the big chill traditionally have been in um, web design or music making or audio or video or tv or whatever it just tends to um it tends to attract those kind of punters basically so the Doctor Who theme was very popular with them. And as I say, I did this set on the Friday night 
and it was fantastic to be able to play incidental music from Doctor Who to a festival crowd, which I don't think has <laughs> been done before. <laughs> fantastic. The theme is really, as, as you said, it's, it, it really grabs you, and I think even those that aren't fans of Doctor Who will have to admit that the theme is very engaging. And uh, out of coincidence, we didn't plan it this way, but I think yesterday, if, if not maybe today, but I, I think it was yesterday, it was Ron Granger's birthday, the, the, the late Ron Granger, who, um, who originally composed, the, I guess, the, the structure of the theme. Obviously, it was then uh, Delia Deb- Debeshore. Yeah, Dina Derbyshire, yes, yeah. Yes, I mean, Ron Green is um, credited as being a composer, but I mean, I think a lot of people agree that it wouldn't have been the, the piece it is without Delia Derbyshire's, um, you know, stunning, innovative yes. electronic work. Right, that's um, what I've always heard. I heard that uh, Ron Grainer essentially wrote down some notes on a napkin or a small piece of paper before going off on holiday. And I was then, told uh, it was an envelope, Danny. An envelope, okay, there you go. <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, Delia ran with it, and then he came back, and she played it to him, and he was like, my God, did I really write that? That's right, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> he well, also did the music to uh, The Prisoner, which is yeah. also legendary. Yes, you know? yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But what Diola did was, uh, and this was, she did this slicing tape and was really meticulous as what she did because this was before the age of computers and digital workstations. And she did this uh, via analog means and it was incredible what she came out with. Yeah, absolutely. I think is the, is the correct word to use, I guess. Yeah. And this is where, um, again, Danny's the expert here. I have to say Danny's knowledge of, of the Doctor Who theme is, is second to none, I think. Encyclopedic. Um, <laughs> encyclopedic, without a doubt. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? And Danny, you at one time did a collection of all the Doctor Who themes and made it available briefly, and it was, uh, it was great for all Doctor Who fans. It was fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I ran a website. Uh, it, it, was, it was never intended to grow into anything huge like it did, kind of. But uh, it, it was uh, it must have been 2006, I guess. And I, I just you know, I have a, a huge collection of Doctor Who themes, obviously. And so I, I said, you know, maybe I should maybe, I, you know, there's, a, there's clearly a bunch of people who don't have access to these. And, you know, there's all the you know, there's always the extended version, the full length version. And then there's the openings and the closings and all the different versions. And so I figured, you know, hey, maybe we should, you know, give people access to these so that they could have have copies so i i, you know, I posted the, essentially a basic version of what i had on a, a website that i had coded myself and uh it was and, and it, it ended up uh, being rather popular and and as people found out about it it grew and grew and grew and, and sort of everyone was talking about it, it and I, I kept posting every time i got got it came into the possession of new themes i put the new themes up eventually i, I rewrote the entire site uh, using a, a php uh, download script which allowed me to actually keep track of the downloads and see what people were downloading and you know there were there were like tens of thousands of downloads on there and it was just it was really impressive and and uh, the site was online for a grand total of 10 months uh before i finally uh got that email from the bbc the bbc came knocking and and said, uh, "You're going to have to take those down." And they, I remember they they gave me uh, they gave me less than 24 hours to take wow. down the site dear, before, oh they, before they threatened legal action against me. So luckily, I wasn't like away or anything, or that would have yeah, been bad. Yeah, imagine if you were. Wow, I, that that would have been pretty bad. Um, so I I just took down the site immediately, posted an apology, said, "You know, I know people uh, enjoyed the site greatly, and I'm sorry I had to take it down." But you know, I, I essentially knew it wasn't really going to last forever because it had it had gotten to be quite big. And I, I was rather impressed that it managed to slip under the BBC's radar for as long as it did. 
Well, what's the real shame is that the BBC themselves are not, you know, that they should have taken your cue and saw how popular it was and taken these themes and legally made them available for purchase in one collection because that's never been done before. And, and I know many fans would really enjoy having a um, a montage of or, or a um, an archive of all these versions of the themes over the years. Absolutely. I would love to have something like that. I mean, they could they could remaster all of them, you know, nothing too drastic, but they could just release a, a proper collection of all of them. And that, that would be a wonderful thing to offer. And I think that they definitely should do that. And hey, if they if they need help putting them together or arranging them, they, <laughs> you're they the person to, to call. Me. You're the go to person. <laughs> and on a related project, there's a, a service that I guess you're part of as well, who mix radio, where people can submit their own renditions of the themes. And yes, and make that available via a podcast and it's a website as well where people can um use their own creativity and there's some there's, there's i mean the the great doctor who theme mixes there but there are a few that are taking a uh, different path and aren't even the themes but just off the top of my head i remember there's one that was um i'm trying to remember the name of it but basically it's a music based on the two doctors story it takes place in um spain Right, right. And it's a really nice piece and it has nothing to do with the theme, but it's really Doctor Who inspired music. Exactly. And it's it Humix gives people a place to let that kind of work shine where it, it wouldn't really be appreciated as just general work. So it's nice that that website provides that sort of collaborative area where people can share music that's inspired by Doctor Who because there's a lot of music out there that is inspired by it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So now, the reason why we have both of you on, Dom and Danny, is that I know that both of you have been have come together in the past and have worked together. I don't know if you've done any collaborative projects, but I know you've you've actually done some work together. Anything that you want to talk about in, in that respect? Well, Danny, um, Danny contacted me. When did you first contact me, Danny? I can't remember. Uh, it's a good few it years. Must back, have been, it? it must have been 2006, I believe. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think you you can probably remember the, the 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 direct reason you first contacted me i think was to ask questions about how i created the uh, my yep. version of the theme wasn't it yep mhm mm um i was I, working i was working with pete uh, my friend pete at the time who who uh, probably people know as marine dalek uh is his is his uh, internet name and he's uh, he's also heavily involved with humix so you may have seen him around mm -hmm. there he, and he he and I were working together on on recreating Dom's theme. So we we said, hey, you know, maybe we could turn to the source and uh, figure out what what synthesizers he used and what techniques he used and what the circumstances were surrounding its creation, and and you know get help get help from him and you know to make it better. So that was that was our original or my original motivation for for seeking Dom out, and that was three years ago now. Did you complete? Which that, was though? fantastic for me. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, we do have probably various versions of that theme in, in various states uh, lying around, but we never had like a final mix that we put together. But, you know, if there's uh, if there's demand for it, we might we might uh, pull together and try and finish that. It, it was a gradual progression over time, wasn't it? That right. You, it you, was. You, you ended up with a version that like, it was getting pretty close to what I remember my version sounding like. Right. You know, right. Was, yeah. Pete was more about uh, recreating individual sounds and, and learning from that, whereas I. I was more trying to get the entire theme down. And so I, I do have that version that I, I showed you back in, uh, in probably 2007-ish, where uh, it, I had pretty much the entire theme all together. And it doesn't sound all that good. I was still learning a lot at the time. And, 
and uh, it, it's it is a complete theme in its own right. It's just it probably won't people won't probably wouldn't like it that much because it's not that professionally produced. It was it was complete and it it, uh, it came out fairly well. I, I can probably dig that out from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing, the great thing about hearing from Danny was that kind of encouraged me to to go back and find my old tapes and to go go back and try and remember how I did do it because it was you know it was twenty years ago. Uh, I mean, it was would have been exactly twenty years probably when you contacted me, Danny. It was two thousand and six, and I kind of I was trying to think. Well, how did I do? That sound. What key? So you kind of reminded me, uh, and, and and I had to go and do a bit of research to be able to answer your questions and tell you. You know, you said, "What did you use for the bass?" And I said, "What did I use for the bass?" Oh yeah, it was that. You know, and and so it really it, it encouraged me to 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 bring it all back. You know, and to and that's part of the reason I did a a remix for the Trial of a Time Lord DVD. Remind our listeners that you did the theme for the Trial of the Time Lord back in. Was it 1986, wasn't it? Yeah, 86, that's right, yes. And for the uh, DVD release, we talked about doing something for it as a DVD extra. So I volunteered a couple of remixes, including you know, a, a full-length remix and also remixes of the opening and closing credits. And that came about because Danny had asked me to dig out what I had, and I sort of went through, went into the garage and pulled out some eight-track tapes and, um, and found the original recording that I'd made of the Who theme. So I seem to remember what happened. I hadn't got the eight-track the eight machine anymore um, that the tapes ran on. And so I, if memory serves, I think I sent it off to Mark Ayres. Who yeah, had that's, eight-track that's machine. what you did. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And if I, Mark Ayres may have had my eight-track machine. <laughs> I think he did. But anyway, whatever. He had the eight-track machine, and he then you know, took the tracks and put them on to um, digitize them for me and gave me the digital versions, and I was then able to, you know, work from then as in fact was danny who did some work with the, with the um digital uh, yes i do right, uh, yeah i do i do have a few uh a few new versions of your theme which i've done from the original multi-track which i'm grateful with you for sharing with me I, i've done uh i've done a sort of modernized version which uh, i've paired with the the new series title sequence as, as an, an alternative to the new series theme and i'm uh, there, there's a few different versions that i'm i'm pretty pleased with uh, based yeah. on the dom's original samples Give this man a job, Mr. Moffat. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved one as well. Uh, Dom, if you can refresh our memory, did uh, with um, Trial of the Time Lord back in 1986, was the BBC transmitting in stereo at that time, or did that start with uh, Sylvester McCoy? It started, uh, as far as I can remember, it started with Dragonfire for me. So I think, no, they weren't transmitting mm-hmm. in 86, but it must have started for 87. So that was the other thing. All the music was mixed in mono. So, yeah, yeah it was nice um, to be... A- I think Remembrance of the Daleks was actually the first episode that was transmitted in stereo. Oh, is that right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah that figures. Yeah. Yeah, Kef got his first taste of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Dragonfire would have been my first stereo mix. So, right. um, yeah, that's right. And unfortunately, on the Trial of a Time Lord DVD, it wasn't possible to do... Uh, an isolated score because I think four episodes of the music were missing. The the music that was written by Richard Hartley for the um, for the four episodes uh, that vanished, and so it was felt that it wasn't a good idea to put a, a, an incomplete score option on the DVD. So um, so unfortunately, that never happened. That's that's a shame. Mm. What, what was the, um, the the story again? You dropped out a little bit there, Dom. Uh, it was the, the second of the two of the of the four stories in uh, Trial of a Time. Okay. The second one was uh, you'll remember. Mind Warp. Your, yeah, Mind Warp. That's the okay. one. Yeah, yeah. So, 
So, yes, Richard Hartley wrote that, and unfortunately neither Richard Hartley nor the BBC could put their hands on the tapes. So it's, it's like, like the old episodes, Doctor Who, they've, they've vanished into the ether, I think. <laughs> That's a shame. Well, you had just mentioned uh, you, just give, you just gave a call out to Stephen Moffat about Danny, and I know Danny is, um, was busy at work doing an independent production, doing the score for that. Danny, can you talk more about that? Uh, the, the fan film project? Yes. Yes. Um, well, I, recently I was contacted by um, um, Robert Ritchie and Luke Pietnik, who I'm sure people may have heard of them. Rob Ritchie is, has posted a bunch of videos on YouTube. He's, he's a very talented up-and-coming uh, 3D. He works with 3D modeling software on the computer, and he's, he's, uh, he's, he's getting more and more into film work. And um, he's done a lot of really cool stuff. Luke contacted me because he was involved in a, in a fan film project which Rob was doing, Luke had written it and Rob was making it mm-hmm. and uh, they needed a score for it. I had done a, a version of the Doctor Who theme for Luke uh, for a podcast uh, that he was doing a while back. And uh, so Luke remembered me and, and contacted me and said, hey, you know, we, uh, y- you know, Rob, it, Rob is somewhat of a musician himself. He was considering doing uh, the score, but he's just too busy. And so we, we need someone to do the music for this. Would you be interested? And I said, absolutely, I'd be interested. So um, oh, in the next couple months they sent me a, a rough cut of of the film and uh i i provided the score and it's it's currently being edited and hopefully it will be uh debuting soon i know uh, I, I remember they were saying it's going to be uh go out at the at, at something called the spaceport doctor who exhibition which um i'm not sure where that is but it's something to keep an eye out for if if any of you knows where that is or where where it will be held or when it's called restoration of the daleks it's it's essentially a a short 10 minute film that uh shows uh, the state of Davros during time between the old series, the last time you see him in Remembrance of the Daleks, and the first time you see him in the new series. It shows him rebuilding his Dalek army and, and uh, unleashing a new, a new army of Daleks uh, out onto the universe. So uh, it, it's actually a, a very professionally made film, very high production values for a fan film, because I've seen fan films which a lot of ingredients are there, but unfortunately it's just it's not as professional as it could be. But Rob has done a great job. He has a Davros prosthetics and uh, Dalek mutants and a full-size Dalek prop. It, it looks very professional, uh, and I, I, was, I was really glad to be a part of that. When did you say it was premiering at the Spaceport? Um, hopefully later this year, I think August or September. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Don't I quote this... me on that because I'm not completely sure. I be- if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. I believe the spaceport is a, a museum, and I think it's located somewhere near Liverpool, though not in Liverpool, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if James knows any it's, insight. Uh, I was going to say that it is in Merseyside, and for quite a while they were doing a Doctor Who exhibition there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I did hear about it from actually um, a very old contributor to the show. Colin? I think Colin, I think I'm just trying to think whether Abasok did tell me about it. I mm-hmm. think Abasok may have, have told me about it originally when they were having uh, a Doctor Who exhibition on there. So it's certainly in and around Liverpool. I think its website is, is spaceport.org.uk, although don't. I'll have to double check that quickly. I'm not quite sure. I know they've done a lot of Doctor Who themed stuff there. They've had you know people dressed up as various... You know, characters, Cybermen, Daleks there at special events. And um, I believe they had some guest stars maybe doing some special events there too at times. So, um, yeah. And they, they, they also have small exhibitions. The last one that I heard about was um, they were doing, because it's the anniversary of the moon landings, they were going to do some several small exhibitions there 
regarding that. So um, they, they tend to cycle them, which is quite cool. Fantastic. Well, while we're on the subject of appearances, actually, Dom's got an appearance in the United States. I know it's a little bit far away, but um, can I make that announcement? Is that oh, yeah, please do. Well, because I've mentioned it on the show before. But I think it's fantastic. You're going to be bringing your show to the United States at TimeGate, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. And that will be the last weekend of May, Memorial Day weekend in 2010. That should be pretty fantastic. What what is you had talked once once before that it's a, a a DJing set with some sci-fi. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of a it's a crossover really between Doctor Who and all that we know and love about Doctor Who and and the the music of modern dance and electronica. So many artists are, are influenced either directly or indirectly by the sounds that they've heard from Doctor Who, you know, analog synthesizers and, uh, you know, the whole um, this whole sound environment of Doctor Who has, has influenced so many people. A lot of music directly comes from Doctor Who. You know, I've been playing, for example, I'm sure a lot of people may remember an old rave track, which is called Exterminate. Now, that's obviously, on the one end of the scale, a very, very blatant, in-your-face Doctor Who rip off <laughs> but it's a great record it is a great record but then at the same time there's music from people like the apex twin who i know from uh, just from talking to the apex twin that he was a, he was a doctor who fan um loved it and um obviously you can hear the influence from people yeah. like um you know the early radiophonic workshop stuff and a lot of what he does so there's a there's a wide range of music so yes i'm hoping that i'll be part of what i'll be doing at atlanta um in may is this your first American appearance? It is, yes. The first convention I've done in America. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I might have to go down to that. I yeah, think you I must. Say, that's, it's, <laughs> it's Dom's first appearance. He's going to be doing. He's going to be debuting. It'll be the North American debut or the U.S. debut yeah. of your teaching set. Andrew Cartmel is another Doctor Who guest that'll be there. I was just about to say, yes, that was what I was just about to say. So, yeah, Andrew Cartmel is going to be there as well. So um, I'm, I'm sure there'll be more guests announced as well, probably some more Doctor Who guests. Uh, it's a half Stargate, half Doctor Who convention, sure. May 28th, 29th, and 30th, 2010. Oh, interesting. I, I like Stargate too. Dom, you're going to have to send me, the, send me the details about that. I'll send you the details. I will. <laughs> Book now. Mm-hmm. So we had um, Andrew on our show last year. We met him at Gallifrey in Los Angeles. A wonderful guest as well. A very delightful person. He took some time out and um, shared his lunch. Well, not he was eating lunch, but he during his uh, lunch he was <laughs> he didn't doing hand an us a sandwich us. or anything. <laughs> <laughs> the weekend before that, Dom is um, New York Tardis. It's the week before Timegate. So if you're in the states early, you can feel free to come hang out with Lewis and I here in New York. Ah, that sounds good. Well, keep me, give, give me the details and I'll I see if I can make something details. along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I want to thank you both for joining us. I don't know if you have any other, any, any other projects that you want to talk about? Yes, I mean, I've just been working on Blake 7, which is... Uh, yes, that's right. Thank you. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, uh, there is a Doctor Who connection there. I mean, uh, the, uh, doc, the Blake 7 revival is uh, partly um, at the hands of, partly at the hands of Ben Aronovich, 
um, obviously known well known for his Doctor Who work. Um, so I just done, done a couple of episodes of the the Blake Seven audio CDs. Um, one written by Ben and the other written by another Doctor Who man, Mark Platt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I I believe they will be out. Um, I think I was told they'd be out in the autumn. I'm not sure of a date, but they 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 will be out at some point before the end of the year. So um, that's been great fun to do as well. That's your first time working with them because I've I've heard the ones in the past. Yeah, yeah. I love the revival. Hopefully, I think it's really cool. Feature. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we're hoping that these audio dramas are the well. We we know there's a television production in the works as well. Hopefully, it's, it's a, a yes, it's. Yes, it's in it's it's in development at the moment. So um, fingers crossed that we'll get a, a series out of it. It would be fantastic. So uh, maybe um, Everest Everest series was due for a TV revival. I'm sure it's Blake Seven. Yeah, and the time is right. I mean, with the popularity of Torchwood and Doctor Who, and you know other science fiction, the remake of The Prisoner. Prisoner, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, it's um, really the only um, thing that's untouched right now is Blake Seven. So bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> so, but we've, we've even heard about UFO being uh, really yeah. Yeah, yeah lately, but, yeah. yeah, quite recently. They're talking about bringing it back. Yeah, wow. But uh, it's a great time to be a sci-fi fan. It just goes to show you. And speaking it of is. music, Barry Gray did the theme for that, and he's another one of those um, outstanding musicians in science fiction. Like, yeah, I went to a fantastic Barry Gray concert about uh, with Andrew Cartmel, funnily enough, about um, six months ago. Uh, really? In, me- in memory of Barry Gray, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a great concert. All all his hits, all played um, in the, on the south bank of the Thames. So full orchestra, fantastic. Wow. Yeah, I would love to have heard that. That would be fantastic. And did, presumably, you heard about the Radiophonic Workshop night at uh, the Roundhouse in London. I've heard. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a really good night. It was set up by Mark Ayres and um, I think Peter Howell were the main men behind it. Mm-hmm. It was it was a celebration of the Radiophonic Workshop and and its history, its body of work. And it was Malcolm Clark, it was Dick Mills, uh, Mark Ayres, um, I'm trying to think who else was there, Paddy uh, Kingsland. A lot of recognizable uh, names, yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a great night, and they did obviously they did they performed the Doctor Who theme, which is some, not something you see every day mm-hmm. on stage, not played from record, but actually performed uh, <laughs> in various different ways, including a version of Peter Howell's you know uh, version of it as well. Really? It was just a great night, yeah. And uh, you know, get yeah. the Roundhouse in London packed solid again. Yeah, um, I would have liked to have been there, but I, I did yeah. get to hear some of it thanks to Dom. Um, uh, yes. I sent you a, I sent you a fuzzy bit from my phone. I think. Didn't yes. I? Yes. <laughs> well, once again, thank you both. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your days to an, an evening, um, in Dom's case, to join us here on this recording. And uh, it's a privilege to have you both on. And and anytime there's another project upcoming that you want to talk about, you both are welcome back on our show. Thank That's you fantastic. very much. Thank you, Lewis. Yeah, thank you Kim. very much. Thanks. Thanks, James. Thank Cheers. you, all of you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I hope we'll see you next year in the States. Oh, yeah. yeah. When, I I come over to, when I come over to Atlanta. And before we depart, I just want to give you both an opportunity to plug your where people can find more information about you, your websites. Oh, sure. Uh, Dom, if you want to go first, I don't know. Okay, yeah, mine's very straightforward. You can get me on dominic-glynn.com. I'm dannystewart.com, D-A-N-N-Y-S-T-E-W-A-R-T.com. Fantastic. So, and I'll try and put up some stuff based uh, some stuff that we were talking about in the in the interview. Yeah, so that would be great. We'll be able to find it. Yeah, 
We'll be right back with our review of Spearhead from Space. have heard us mention it before, if you love Doctor Who Podshock and you also love British science fiction, be sure to subscribe to our other podcast we do, The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. That's right, Ken, James, and myself team up as we do here in Doctor Who Podshock, but this time we paint with a much broader palette covering all British science fiction. Everything from Blake 7 to Torchwood to The Prisoner, UFO, Space 1999, The Thunderbirds, Tripods, Day of the Triffids, Sarah Jane Adventures, Red Dwarf, War of the Worlds, Tomorrow People, even Doctor Who, you name it. If it's British and it's science fiction, we try to cover it. Find it on iTunes or go to Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi.com or ArtTrap.com for show listings and RSS feeds. The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. And we're back on Doctor Who Podshock. It's time to review The Spearhead from Space. It's our continuing regeneration story review extravaganza in honor of the David Tennant to Matt Smith regeneration. We're, we're continuing that this week with uh, Spearhead from Space, the first color episode of Doctor Who. It's John Pertwee's first story. Robert mm-hmm. Holmes was the writer, just a ridiculous story and one of the earliest dvds actually yes yes this dvd dates back to 2001 oh really i thought it was wow that early crikey yeah and you can tell from the the lack of features and easter (laughs) eggs and i mean not that we're complaining but it was just an early on you know dvd Mm. are you getting a reading nope well that's it i can't think of anything else we can try Oh, don't worry, my dear. We've done our best. I can't understand it. We've tried a dozen different methods of analysis and haven't identified a single element. Yes, what results can you expect with this primitive equipment? Primitive? We've got lasers, spectrographs, micron probes. Yes, 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 I know all that. But what we really need is a, is a lateral molecular rectifier. What on earth's that? Not on Earth, unfortunately. But I think I have one in the TARDIS. In there? Yes. I'm sure I have one somewhere. But I'm sure I used one sometime in the past. Or was it the future? Doctor, you really do have scientific equipment in there. My dear Liz, I have an entire laboratory. Yes. Yes, yes, I'm sure you have. No, 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 it's true. But you think that the TARDIS isn't big enough, don't you? That's because you keep looking at it simply as a police box. Well, it is only a police box. No, no. Not once you get inside it, it isn't. You see, Liz, the TARDIS is dimensionally transcendental. Oh, I see. Yes. Well, it would take far too long to finally explain that to you. 
Yeah, fantastic story. Uh, uh, Robert Holmes bring, introducing the the autons into the uh, the lexicon of Doctor Who baddies, and yes, which returns later on, and well, it helped debut the new series. Yes, that's true. With, uh, Christopher Eccleston, of course. And as Ken mentioned, this is the first time we see Doctor Who televised, in, as far as the television series is concerned, in color. And yeah. I don't know if this is intentional or not, or it's just a coincidence, but the very first shot in this episode, it's a special effects shot, and it shows a starscape, you know, a um, basically you're, you're just seeing space, which is essentially black and white, you know, black space with white stars, and then it pans over to the Earth, which is in color. So it's um it's it's sort of like mocking the progression from black and white to color, and I thought that was mm-hmm. a nice little touch there, and I don't know if that was intentional or not. But uh, perhaps a Kubrickian touch there, or a, yeah, it was just because it opens up. It's sort of like a traditional black and white Doctor Who story because all you see is stars and, and the blackness of space, and then it pans over to the Earth, and there's the Earth in full color. Yeah, interesting. There's a lot of little. <sighs> quirks to this story you know you you have the return of the brigadier and and unit it which is like the staple of the part we era but this is more of the patrick troughton unit you know the the, mm-hmm. the invasion we yeah. don't have the the full cast of characters that we come to associate with unit it's still very the scope of unit is very large. There still seems it seems to be a lot of different soldiers, a lot of different characters, and I think Lewis, you mentioned last week that it was shot entirely on film. It yeah, gives this it a, a story. Great feel. Uh, there was no studio shooting on this, so it's all done on film. So therefore, it's a possibility that we may see a Blu-ray HD release if they were to remaster this from the from the film. You can get a HD yes. lifted off the film. And, and although although the current series tries to take credit for the first Doctor Who nude scene with Christopher Eccleston. Uh, <laughs> Pertwee has his first nude scene here where he reveals he ha- the third Doctor has a tattoo. Apparently when you regenerate, you get a tattoo. Um, <laughs> you know, I, the third Doctor did it. It was some sort of snake or um, yeah, something wispy on his forearm. Very We don't comic. see again because the Doctor's always wearing long sleeves. So yeah. Yes. I loved I loved the fact that people tried to explain that by saying that oh it was it was a, the the time lords gave him it because it was a mark of a criminal or something like that. <laughs> That's the great thing about Doctor Who fans is that we're very creative and we can invent things to fit the story whenever creative necessary. Creative is one word, insane is another word. It's very close. The word is very close. Yes, but fine a, line. This is a fantastic four-parter, and and really, if you had to pick. An old episode. If you really just had to pick one of um, prior to Tom Baker, if you just had to say, "Well, give me an example of some early Doctor Who." This actually is a pretty decent start because you have a regeneration. It's in color. You have most of the major players there: the Third Doctor and the Brigadier. It's not. It's not perfect by any means as far as it being descriptive of that era, but it's a classic it really is yes, it, it is a first on many levels because it is the it, not only is it the first color doctor who but it's um it's the first time that we see the regeneration process taking a toll on the doctor there's a post regeneration post regeneration um fatigue and um trauma yeah. that he's he's going through and and that's a recurring thing that we see quite often in the future regenerations that are upcoming there, there are just many things that in this episode marked, uh, and also it's a big change 
in the format of the show compared to the previous two Doctors, where now yes. it's now based on Earth and it's very Earth centric. So, and this story really is the foundation of the whole Pertry era. With as Ken was mentioning before, it's a very early version of Unit, but it's the foundation of where Unit is and where it's going to go. Really, this is um, yeah, we've seen establishes he wants the car and the flamboyant dress and everything that becomes the Pertwee Doctor. Yes, this is the yes. first time the Doctor picks his clothes from what happens to be around him, and not in, instead of going into the TARDIS and picking out what he's going to wear, he just happens to steal, stumble across things, <laughs> or yeah. borrow. An outfit mm. that um, becomes a, a his style of what the doctor's going to wear. Um, Bessie is a, a precursor to Bessie's in here, which is a, another classic car. Which you know, at the end of this episode, the, the doctor asks, you know, can we get something similar? You know, and of course that's going to be Bessie. Must I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, this story I have a, an awful lot of affection for because we were talking about it being first, and I. I think, I think, or at least I remember, this being my, the first ever Doctor Who story that I ever watched, that I ever sat down, watched, and fully understood as a kid. Really? Uh, yeah. This is this is this is what I think is the first ever episode of Doctor Who that I've ever seen, that I ever saw. Um, so I have a great amount of affection for it, and I kind of agree with you, Ken, that that it's the it's not quite there in terms of the story that there are holes in it. Um, it's by no means John Pertwee's best story. Of course, he was just still finding his feet because he, he just was, had become the doctor, but there's just so much about it. That's brilliant. And but he's still very much the Pertwee doctor in that he pulls up to the unit headquarters in the car. And he's like, I suppose you're going to ask me if I have a pass. Well, I don't. And that's very Pertwee doctor, very, you know, yes. um, abrasive. And just, yeah. yeah. He's very much the strong male lead in that, in that part. And he gets right into the, the thick of things. And he, and he's charming, uh, Liz Shaw with, you know, that's, that's Delphian for hello and all these kind of things. He's just magnificent in the part. He's, he grabs it, grabs the bull by the horns right out of the box. Well, the, the whole episode does and every single character does, I think. And one of the, the best things about this story, aside from it reintroducing the doctor and it being in color and an episode of first is, also how they treat Liz Shaw, the new companion. And they they put a they turn her into a scientist who's somebody who's respected as a woman in, in the nineteen seventies, which is brilliant. Yes. And she's an equal with the doctor. And there's one point where um, you know this general walks in, I forget forget his full name. General Scobie, is it something like Carrington. that? Carrington. Carrington. Um and and he he's like oh nice to have a pretty face around here or whatever and uh, the brigadier corrects and well she's not just a pretty face she's you know from Cambridge and all the the rest of it yeah. and she's just so intelligent throughout the whole episode and a real role model for for not just women or young girls but kids in general I think she um, later in in her run on Doctor Who I think it was in Inferno uh, she corrects the brigadier at one point and says but you know he says perhaps we should call for a doctor and she's like no brigadier I'm a doctor you know like uh, that that kind of strong female lead was was definitely a change for the show as well and although 
it's typically thought of that they brought Joe Grant on to have somebody who could ask the doctor more questions in a very traditional companion role. I think many classic fans of classic Doctor Who look at Liz Shaw as being uh, a wonderful companion and someone that we all would like to have seen more of. Yes, yeah, definitely I think not the they, typical screamer. Yes, no. and I think I think we I I she's certainly next to Sarah Jane is my favorite companion. And I, I really, I don't know whether they'll bring her back. They, um, <laughs> back into the new series, but I think that she definitely didn't have enough screen time. Just as a, uh, a quick aside on this, this, this week was the release of the BBC audio collection version of ambassadors of death with, with Caroline John doing the linking narration. And mm-hmm. there's an interview at the end. They, that's one of the brilliant things about it is that they'll add this, um, this interview with the actor or actress that's doing the linking narration. And this one was pretty lengthy. I think it was about 20 minutes long. And she, she makes mention of the, the new series and saying that I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that I would be willing to come back, you know, acknowledging <laughs> that just about everybody she's talked to from the classic series that has the hand up in class saying, you know, me, me, you know, Frasier yeah, Hines sure. has said it. Caroline John has said it. I, I don't know anybody who, who probably didn't envy Elizabeth Sladen coming back into the show. Yeah, so. sure. But they, they have to get Caroline John back, not just because she played Liz Shaw, who was brilliant, but also because Caroline John is a Yorkie. So we've got to, we've got to have her <laughs> back on screen because she's from York. So props there. Yes. Yes. Also, the first regeneration for the Brigadier. The Brigadier is now pretty much an expert when it comes to the Doctor regenerating, but this was the first time he's ever encountered the Doctor changing his face. And, Mm. of course, we had a lot of that in this episode, too, where the third Doctor sees himself and at first was a little bit put off by his new face, but then it grows on him, and it's a very flexible face, and it lends itself to doing... um, (laughs) communicating with his eyebrows and all that but this was the brigadier's first time when it's it's funny because uh you know he the story's leading up to you know oh i know who this is a police box and you know all the the clues are there and then he sees this man in the hospital bed and turns him over and it's not patrick troughton <laughs> and um and and then he says oh i think liz shore says oh do you know this gentleman he goes oh i thought i did but i've never seen him in my life and then the doctor wakes up and goes Brigadier Lethbreth Stewart. <laughs> yeah. So uh, f- embarrassing the um, the Brigadier, obviously, right there. <laughs> mm. The first of many times. Have you put a guard on that police box? Yes, sir. Two men with orders to keep strangers well away. Uh, Monroe, see that issued with live ammunition, will you? Live ammunition? But, sir. That's an order, Captain. How's here, sir? Good. Along here, sir. Thank you. Oh, Dr. Henderson, this is Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart and... Uh, Elizabeth Shaw. How's your patient, Doctor? Can we see him? Well, you can see him, certainly. Ah. Not making much sense yet. Well, still unconscious, eh? Most of the time. He has brief moments of consciousness and then slips back again. Well, what's actually wrong with him? I can't say. Never had a patient quite like him before. How do you mean? Well, his whole cardiovascular system is quite unlike anything I've ever seen. And I'm told his blood can't be identified. Splendid. That sounds like the doctor. Do you know him? What? No, I thought I might do, but 
He's a complete stranger. I've never seen him before in my life. Hmm. That's Bridget Stewart. My dear fellow, how nice to see you again. He knows you, sir. But he can't do. Look here. Can you hear me? Who are you? Don't you recognize me? I'm positive we've never met before. Oh, dear. Oh, I can't have changed that much, surely. Well, I must see what they've done to me. Can I, can I borrow... Can I borrow a mirror, please? Oh, no. Oh, no. That's not me at all. <laughs> no wonder you didn't recognize me. <laughs> oh, that face. Mm, that hair. <laughs> well, I don't know, though. I think it's rather distinctive, actually. <laughs> don't you think? Hmm? <laughs> no, you don't. Oh, anyway, I'm, I'm tired. All this exercise and exertion. Too much. I want to get some sleep now. Now, just a minute. Wake up, man. Listen to me. I think that's quite enough for the moment. His mind's obviously disturbed, and uh, anyway, I'm afraid he's out again. Extraordinary business. The doctor states his name is John Smith at the end of this episode when mm. the brigadier asks, I don't even know your name. <laughs> And then That's... the third doctor will reuse that name several times over in his era of the doctor. Yeah, but that wasn't the first time that he used no, it. No, it wasn't. But it was. I think um, it's the second or maybe the third. But I know Patrick Troughton had used it mm -hmm. once. Before. Well, I'm glad the continuity was there, and it wasn't like he just yeah. grabbed another name. And it's something that's really, really continued th throughout. Doctor Who as well, which is is brilliant, and one of the reasons why you've got to love Doctor Who because they, you know, they have these little tidbits of things and they they carry them on, and it, it's amazing, it's great. Derek Sherwin, the producer, has a cameo in the episode as well um, in the unit parking area. That was kind of funny. It was nice to, that you know, we look for these little things that that make it tasty to watch the episode again and again and again and look for, for little details like the tattoo, like, like Sherwin's appearance, you know, his cameo and stuff. As a note about the strength of this story, before we give our TARDIS groans, when Doctor Who magazine did their uh, special series where they had a, a, an issue for each of the doctors and they focused on the episodes and they were essays written by a variety of, of writers. And this was back in 2002, Clayton Hickman was the editor at the time, and, and he put this series together, First Doctor, Second Doctor, went all the way to the Eighth Doctor, because the new show hadn't been announced at the time, and they, they put out a, a special collector's edition. The writer selected to write an essay about this episode is none other than Russell T. Davies, and that should tell you his feelings towards this episode, and also the first episode reviewed was by a writer of Russell's caliber, so... Well, I guess that's no uh, surprise then that he brought back the Nestine and the Ortons, even though they were never referred to as the Ortons in the episode Rose. It's um, mm -hmm. clearly they were the Ortons.
sure? Well, get on to the policeman. Try the army. Well, keep trying. It's started, hasn't it? Yes, all over the country. Window dummies coming alive, attacking police stations, barracks, communication centers. So, shall we give our TARDIS groans for this episode? Sure. I think so. Why I, not? Uh, I'm going to say that this is a it's it's a fantastic story. It's it, as we said that it may not be a perfect story, but I think each episode the pacing is there. I, I think it, it carries you through at the end of the episode. I'm like the first time at the end of episode one, I had to check the time. I'm like, wait a minute, that was an abbreviated episode. That can't be over yet. And um, yep. but I, I think it really captures you and brings you. The pacing is there. The the, the casting is excellent too. Uh, I don't know the actor's name, and and I just lost the character's name. But he was the basically the henchman, the the person representing the nesting. He had such a face. He had this like really ominous. And I'm not putting the actors down. <laughs> that's his, that's his face. But <laughs> the casting was excellent on this, and some of the the editing and the way they would kind of complete their sentences in the editing process, where the doctor would say something like, "You know, we'll, you'll have to launch an attack," and then they cut down, they cut to the baddies, and like, uh, if they attack, you know, it was almost like continuing the same thought. I, I thought the editing was was unique here and done in a cinematic way. And being that this was all shot on location, no studio work, it really felt real in that sense. It really, it, you felt like you were out there and it just felt very real, if, if that yeah. makes any sense, because everything were all, everything was all real locations. That, that hospital hallway, that corridor, <laughs> that, 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 I don't want to be in that hospital. The doctors, you can't even quit, you can't even fit two people down the corridor at the same time there. If there's an emergency and someone's vacuuming in there. <laughs> Anyway, and I'm just nitpicking there. But so I, I, what was your TARDIS I'm going to give then? it five TARDIS groans because of its historical nature. And as I said, this is a, the foundation of the whole five-year run of John Pertwee. All the elements are there, though not not all the bricks are laid, but all the elements of the foundation of what's to come and is there. And it introduces Liz Shore. It introduces John Pertwee. It, even though we've seen the Brigadier before, it... It reintroduces him and unit as well. So I'm giving it five five TARDIS groans. James? I concur with, with everything that Lewis has said. The the only thing that really is is a letdown, which you can't really fault it in terms of the DVD because it like we were talking about it, it, it was one of the very first DVDs. Um and that is just the fact that the the special uh, features are a bit lacking. Um, mm-hmm. the unit, there's a, a unit recruitment film which is very funny, rather comedic and, uh, and a commentary and a photo gallery and that's about it really there are, there are I think two or three trailers mm-hmm. um, they had it on, on the Doctor Who night back in 1999 um, and, and that's it in terms of, uh, of, of, of the special features so in terms of the story and, and the the, the real quality of the, the the restoration team have done bringing bringing it back from 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 film to, to DVD is great, and I'm giving it five stars for the story. But extra wise, you know, I think they they could have done more, and I I kind of hope that they do re-release it on Blu-ray and maybe throw in some more extras because yeah, then, and, and and bring it up a notch. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. <clears throat> well, I'm going to give it 
if if I went purely on emotion, I would give it five out of five as well because it really is something special to the story. It, it sits in all of our memories so fondly. I'm going to give it four out of five based on the fact that I always felt that the ending dragged just a little bit. And I don't, if you, again, if you, it's not Robert Holmes isn't up to Robert Holmes yet. It's way better than the space pirates and better than the crotons, but not quite to the, the full on to me, the first pure Robert Holmes story is, is terror of the autons. It's, it has the right kind of comedy, the right kind of drama. The master is in it. It sets off everything that we've come to know for the Pertwee era of Doctor Who. But this, there's still this middle ground. The, the certain parts of the humor, outside of Pertwee himself, there's there's a, a bit of that lacking in the story. But it, again, emotionally, if I had to go, I'd have to pick it out of five, and I won't pull it down because of the DVD because that has nothing to do with with the original broadcast. So I'm going to give it four out of five. Mm-hmm. And since this has been a very music oriented episode of Dr. Who Podshock, we make a note that Dudley Simpson did the incidental, uh, you know, composed the incidental ah, music for this. I, I'll tell you another reason why I had to subtract a star because in, on the DVD, the Fleetwood Mac song isn't in part two. Um, when it was originally broadcast, there's a, uh, they use a clip of a Fleetwood Mac song. They didn't want to pay the, the royalties, so the song is pulled on the DVD. Yeah, unfortunately, that happens all too often on DVD releases from the yeah. UK and the US. I, is that the case, James, on your DVD? I'll have to go back and re-watch it. Um, I, I honestly don't remember. I watched it about a week ago. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, on all the DVDs. Yeah, I, I would don't imagine was... they probably did one master for the DVD, and they do that for, you know both UK and US releases. I think I think I would remember that if if it had appeared in the in the DVD. So I, I think it probably probably isn't there. And the story was um originally shown transmitted on the BBC January 3rd to the 24th of 1970. Yep. Going back a while. <laughs> yes. So um there you have it Spearhead from Space. So next up in our regenerations will be uh, Planet of the Spiders, and we'll probably do that in a week or two. Yeah, unfortunately, to, that's not out on. Um, that, that's not available on DVD in the U.S. yet. No, but I, I, if it's I'm it's available not mistaken, on iTunes. It, yeah, and um, there's an audio available of it. I don't remember whether it's the book or is it the radio collection. So. Well, if you do want to download it, it is available on iTunes as well, and probably maybe other download services out there. I know uh, Amazon or one of those. Yeah. Mm. Um, fantastic. It's one of the rare times that you can actually legally download an episode of a story that's not available on DVD. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's going to round things out for this episode. Um, we promise we'll get your feedback um, in our next episode, I know we did a bunch last time and we'll get to more of them. There's more pending and we didn't get to everyone last time as well. So we're going to get them. And um, in the meantime, we still want to hear from you. So please send your feedback. You can email your feedback to feedback at net, or you can call our Podshock public call box at 206 600-6517. It works just like voicemail. You just leave your message there and it will be a candidate for feedback in our show. You can also use Skype and or Gizmo to leave your feedback. And we 
always enjoy hearing your feedback since this is a audio podcast. Very, very cool. Thanks for an awesome show, guys. And thanks once again to Danny Stewart and Dominic Glynn as well for appearing on the show. Yes. Uh, we'll be back next week, I guess. Yes. Hey, don't forget, you can now follow all of us on Twitter. James can be found at twitter.com slash James Norton. Ken is now on Twitter, finally, at twitter.com slash Ken Deep. I'm at twitter.com slash Lewis Trapani. And of course, Doctor Who Podchock is at twitter.com slash Podchock. Danny Stewart, who was a guest today, can be found on Twitter at twitter.com slash Danny Stewart. That's S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Also, if you use iTunes, why not leave a review of Doctor Who Podchock on iTunes? We'd be much appreciated of that. Fantastic. All the best then, guys. All right. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented by the fan-run GallifreyanEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next time for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This Art Trap production is presented to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible in part by donations from listeners like you. Not too late. On this planet there is a saying that it is never too late.